0: In the next few weeks, we endeavor to really think, reflect, pray, and hear the preaching of God's word on how we can have beautiful feet of the gospel, to take the gospel to places in our work, our home, grocery stores, and our communities, and what this means for us. So, as we begin our new series, let's have God's word open us up to Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 17. are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: At the start of every new year, we uh, spend about a month's time going through the theme of the year. And this year is no different. In 2020 here at ELM, we want to focus our hearts and our minds on two things, evangelism and hospitality. And so the theme for this year is beautiful feet, beautiful hands. Now this month we'll look at evangelism and in the fall we'll cover hospitality. So first, evangelism. What is it? What is evangelism? Well, I think we need a definition to work with, and so this is what I propose, Offered what I think is in the Bible. Evangelism is the human proclamation of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Or if it can just be more simple, uh, evangelism is people talking to other non-Christian people about the gospel with the aim to persuade. Now, today's passage, Romans 10, is helpful for us. It helps us to understand what evangelism is in that this is the outline that I think it gives to us that we'll be looking. First, it tells us what the gospel is. Second, it tells us how we are to respond. And then third, it tells us what we are to do with this good news. So first, what is the gospel? Well, this is something that Paul has been expounding on all throughout his letter to the church in Rome. And here's a very simple outline of Romans, often referred to as the Road to Romans. Um, it tells us this. Paul says this. First, the state. Where are we? What what are we like? What state are we in? Well, Romans 3.23 says this: for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short. It tells us the state, but it tells us the hope. And Romans 5.8 says this: But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in Romans 4:25, it gives us something a little bit more ex- uh, explicit tells us what Jesus did. It says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, 425. Now, this just simply means Jesus, he died for our sins, and in his resurrection, uh, through his resurrection, we have been declared righteous. So, he died for our sins, and when he rose again, he declared victory and righteousness for us. And as a result of this, Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this whole gospel, as Paul writes, is summed up in today's passage in verse 4. Paul writes this. All right, I think, there you go. <laughs> he writes this, for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. He is the end, He is the culmination of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Friends, this tells us that the gospel is news, it's good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. So the gospel isn't advice, it isn't a moral code. The gospel isn't a threat or warning. The gospel isn't a discussion or even a debate, but the gospel is an announcement. It's good news of what God has done. Now, church, this distinction is really, really important because religion is advice, but the gospel is news. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was an English preacher in the early and mid-1900s, he says this. Advice is counsel about something that hasn't happened yet, but you can do something about it. News, on the other hand, is a report about something that has happened which you can't do anything about because it has been done for you, and the only thing you can do is respond to it. The gospel is news. You know, outside the context of the Bible, um, in the ancient world, this word, gospel, or euangelion in the Greek, is used, or most often used, when uh, to speak of an announcement, of a victory in battle or war. So you can imagine, right, in the ancient Near East, imagine a small village, and it's wartime. And so all the men of the village, the strong and able men, the husbands and all the sons, they are all off at war. Now, you don't know if your nation has won or lost. You don't know if your loved ones are alive or dead, if they're going to come home. And every day you live in fear of this war inching closer and closer to home. But suddenly you see a messenger far off. So the elder of the village calls all the people together. Everyone gathers at the town square. The messenger finally reaches the village and without having even a moment to catch his breath, unrolls a scroll and he reads, on the 13th day of Purim, our great king and his army has secured victory. The war is over. Can you imagine the elation? Can you imagine the joy and the peace This is gospel. Uh, Many years ago, NPR ran a segment called War Letters. And in one of the episodes, they featured a female captain named Margaret Gale. Margaret was stationed in Okinawa during World War II, and she writes a letter to her husband on August 15th, 1945. August 15, 1945 is the last day of the war, often referred to as V-Day. And as she's stationed in Okinawa, she writes this letter to her husband. My dear, my darling husband, that red-letter red day has finally come, and I am so filled with happiness and thanksgiving. If only we could have been together on this great day. However, even though we were not together in person, we were in the thoughts of each other. My own husband, I love you so much. And from now, every minute is lived in anticipation of that great day, you and I will be together and then celebrate in our own way. Lucille and Marge went over to have a little cocktail in the nurse's red hall, but I don't feel like that tonight. I just want to be as close as I can to you tonight, and this is my only means. I am so happy that this is all over, darling. I can't help crying. We have so much to be thankful for, and especially I. Precious, I must get ready for bed because I have slept little today, and I'm pretty tired. Lucy and Marge are still celebrating somewhere. These two need to ease ease up on the alcohol, but, but she writes, I wanted all my celebrating to be with you. Good night, my loved one. Tonight I go to sleep, realizing it won't be long until I will be able to go to sleep in your arms. My own darling husband. God grant it will be soon. All my love, Mitch. Friends, this is gospel. It's good news that victory is secure. This is the reason why that when the Bible talks about everything that God has done for us in Jesus, the Bible calls it gospel, call it good news. So that is the gospel. It's news of victory of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So the second question that it it answers for us is, how should we respond? Well, if you look in Romans uh, 10, 9, today's passage, it reads like this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so Paul writes here that our response to this good news is faith. In other words, we respond in belief and trust that the news that we have heard is voracious, it is true. And once we accept this news, this news begins to change us. It starts to transform us. You know, it's only natural that if you hear news of victory, if you hear news of victory, that allows you to come out of fear. News of salvation allows you to come out of despair. And you begin to reorient your whole life. You begin to reorder your entire life around this news. You know, as an example, last week, the Philadelphia Eagles played a very important game. Now, before the game... I think there was a real angst. There was real fear of missing the playoffs. And rightly so, the team was badly injured. And I remember talking to people, how do you feel about the game? How do you feel about your team? And people were really anxious. But once the game ended, once the team won, everything changed. Fear turned to joy, anxiety turned to peace. And what people started to do is, people started to reorder their entire life around this victory. I got an email from my school, or my children's school, saying, This week we are going to have Eagles Spirit Day. Please have them wear Eagles gear. I replied back, No, thank you. And you probably listened to more sports talk radio. You probably talked about it more with your friends. And most likely, you reordered your schedule today so as to watch the game. Friends, news of victory, when received, when believed upon, is transformative. It changes how we go about our lives. You know, there's something really interesting in today's passage. If you see in in verses uh, 6 and 7, Paul says this, the righteousness based on faith says this, do not say in your hearts, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, these verses are a bit complex, but essentially what Paul is saying is this. This news doesn't demand an impossible task, right? It doesn't demand that someone ascends into heaven, and it doesn't demand, you know, we be Superman descending into the deep. If you try that, he says that, in fact, will void what Christ has done instead Paul says this our response of this great news is simply full acceptance wholehearted trust or in other words faith who don't say who will ascend or who will descend rather receive this news with wholehearted faith now oddly this sounds easy but it's actually Really difficult. You know, if you imagine, it would have been much easier if Paul says, if Paul spelled it out, right? He says, okay, there's this great news, and the way in which you receive it, the way in which you respond is you have to do A, B, C, D, and E. That would be easy. But Paul says, no. This news is so great. It is so life-altering and so transformative that the only response... To this news is full acceptance, wholehearted trust. Because when you do that, you will begin to reorder your entire life around this victory. You know, this difficulty is not just for us, but even first century Christians had a hard time understanding this. Even as Paul writes this letter, he, the church had a hard time understanding, what do you mean we're just supposed to accept this with faith? And that's why in verse 8, Paul writes this. What does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your hearts. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, this verse, um, Paul is actually alluding or he's, um, he's quoting uh, Deuteronomy 30. And Moses there is saying the exact same words. And basically, the authors are saying this to their audiences, saying this. This great news has come upon you. And the the speakers notice that the audience, the people, are looking elsewhere. They're saying, wait, what else is there? Right? And, And he notices that the people are looking elsewhere for more news, or for something different, or for something new. And this is the reason why Paul and Moses both write this. Hey, stop looking elsewhere. Stop trying to find a new word. Stop trying to find something different. The word is in you already. Believe upon this word. Respond positively in faith and trust. Let this news transform you. Stop looking elsewhere. How are we to respond to this good news? We are to respond in wholehearted trust and faith. So then the final question that Paul answers in today's passage is then, what what are we to do with this news now? And I think the passage in Romans 10 takes a very interesting turn. Paul says this in verse 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great, great news. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions. He says this, how then? Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Friends, if we accept the fact that the gospel is good news, it's good news of salvation, then it's also true that because it is news, This news has to be proclaimed. If you think about it, the essence of news is that it needs a medium, it needs a messenger. What good is it if there is news but no one to proclaim it? See, news requires a medium, a messenger. News requires that it be proclaimed. So Paul is saying this. The good news doesn't require reenactment, but rather it requires pronouncement. I remember many years ago when I first started to read Romans. I got to this point, Romans 10, And I was struck by the the sharp contrast in today's passage. You see, everything in Romans up to this point was divine. It was transcendent. It was cosmic. Everything that Paul wrote up until now was what God had done for us in Jesus. And I remember as a young Christian, I read this, and I thought, this is amazing. God has done this. But then, when I got to this point, it felt like Romans was taking a a sharp turn. Paul was taking this hard left when he's asking, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? This felt to me like the very opposite. If everything in Romans up to now was divine, it was cosmic, it was transcendent, this felt very human. It felt very weak. It felt foolish. And I remember thinking to myself, God, what do you mean? You're the one who did all this. Why would you need us to be messengers? And I started thinking, like, God, can't you just send, like, a lightning bolt so that everyone can know? Right? Can't can't you just, like, upload it into us like the Matrix, right? All of us, like, oh, gospel, right, where we get it. And you know, this was during the time of AOL, right? And, and I thought, like, God, can you just send like this heavenly email to all of us, right? And I, and I thought to myself, like, yeah, God, you know, here's this amazing thing called American Online or America Online. Like, they figured it out. Look how advanced they are. I and mean, gosh, I was so wrong about that. But, but I thought, look at this new medium of communication. Why? does this great news of salvation get spread through human preaching, human communication? You know, I sat there thinking, why is this message of eternal life given to inadequate and incompetent messengers and shared through a very antiquated medium, human speech, you know, this bothered me for some time, and I couldn't figure it out until I read 2 Corinthians 4:7, where Paul writes this. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. When I read this, it sort of came together for me because Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's saying this. We are like jars of clay, brittle, broken, really nothing. But God has given to us a treasure, this pearl, and he put it inside jars of clay. And the reason why he did that was to show that the power belongs not to us, but to God. The more and more I read Scripture and I realized this, I started to understand that what was foolish in my eyes was actually wisdom for God. What was once a puzzle became a picture, and I started to see more clearly that this dichotomy of what God has done, this amazing gift of salvation, being now shared through the weakness of human communication, this dichotomy was actually intentional. God designed this. See, God wanted the gift of eternal life shared through mere mortal words. He wanted the wisdom of God revealed through human foolishness. He wanted the deeds of the infinite preached Through the faulty speech of the finite, he wanted the climactic work of the cross applied through the proclamation of sinners. God wanted this news of everlasting victory to be carried by soiled and bruised feet. God designed it so that this extraordinary grace would be shared through Ordinary means. This is what Paul says. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What an oxymoron. Beautiful and feet. How beautiful are the feet. You know, ever since I can remember, um, you know, since I was young, I remember my mother. Um, Always tried her best to teach and share the gospel with um, my, my siblings and I, or um, me and my siblings. And, um, you know, I always wondered how my mother came to faith, because she was the only one on both sides of the family who uh, was a Christian both my mom and my dad's side, uh, they were agnostic. And so, you know, you can imagine, you know, this um, young woman with four children in a tiny apartment in Brooklyn, you know, living the immigrant life, trying to raise her family, but being the only one um, teaching the gospel to four little children. And so... I think it was about the time in middle school I asked my mother, "Um, how did you become a believer? And so she told me the story of how she came to faith. Uh, She was raised in a small town uh, in the province of Gongju in South Korea. And as she was a little girl, uh, she grew up in a family of, um, I think, six or seven. Um, There was this one lady in the village who came by her house every Sunday, and every Sunday she would call out to my mother. And she would call out her name in Korean, which is Kyunguk. She would say Kyungukah, Kyungukah, and she'd say, "Let's go to church." Now, even though her entire family wasn't Christian, uh, weirdly they were okay with her just going along with this lady. Maybe it was because my mother was the youngest and. Um, her family had very low expectations or no expectations from her. But every Sunday, uh, this lady from the village would come, uh, pick up my mother, and they would go to church together. Now, my mother, she tells me that she had absolutely no expectations. She just wanted to get out of the house every Sunday. So she would go on this long walk with this lady, and they would go to church together. And there, she said that at the church, this small small church in in this unknown village in Korea. Um, She attended and there she was taught about Jesus. There she heard the gospel. And there she believed and she was baptized and she received eternal life. This extraordinary grace she received. Now, her life wasn't perfect. She didn't live the model Christian life. Uh, She immigrated to the States when she was in high school. Uh, She married an unbeliever. She actually married very, very early. She had four children. Um, But still, she did the best that she could to raise her children in the faith. I remember doing Bible study at night. I remember she taught me the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed while just trying to make ends meet. Now, she will confess today that she had lots of weaknesses and her parenting was mistake-ridden. But despite all that, despite her hypocrisy, she taught me about Jesus. And eventually, I too received God's gift of eternal life. Now, as strange and, and as weird as this might sound... I think I stand here today sharing the gospel with you all because of that nameless lady who came to pick up my mother every Sunday. Extraordinary grace through ordinary means. You know, if you are a Christian, you have been evangelized, right? Someone evangelized to you. If you're not a Christian and you're here, chances are someone is trying to evangelize to you. That's why they invited you out here. But for those of you who are a Christian, those of you who have received this gift of eternal life, consider how you received it. You received a life that will outlast anything in this world. You received something so precious, but how did you receive it? was most likely through some sinner verbally sharing it with you. Probably it wasn't even that clear. And maybe if you replay that conversation, maybe you could even say it was theologically inaccurate. But you heard the news, you believed upon it, and you received eternal life. This ordinary means of verbally communicating the news about what God has done for you in Jesus resulted in extraordinary, eternal life. Friends, God's method of bringing salvation, of this good news to everyone, is in the minds and in the eyes of the world so foolish, so weak. But God does it this way to show that the surpassing power belongs not to us, not to the medium, but to God himself. Friends, I think this is all the more surprising when you consider the mistakes and the malpractices of evangelism that the church has championed for the past however many years. Yes, I will own up to that. The church has done some really dumb things in the name of evangelism. But still, despite that, despite that, God brings upon salvation. You know, a few years ago, uh, a president of a seminary in America uh, asked a large gathering of pastors this question. He asked, how many of you came to faith in a church that evangelized in ways you would now reject? And he said, almost every pastor raised his hand. I became a believer through a method that I wouldn't even do now. But you see, that is the beauty and the mystery of the gospel. That the wisdom and the power of God can be shown through human weakness and through human frailty. He uses the frailty and the failings of human messengers and human words to proclaim his good news. Humans who are so bad at communication, who are so who are terrible at understanding, that if you line 10 adults up right now and you play the game of telephone, they will fail 9 times out of 10. God uses these mortals to carry the divine message of salvation in his son. Praise God. You know what this means? Despite our hypocrisy, despite our lack of understanding, despite our sins, despite our lack of time and whatever excuses we can come up with, we can and we should share the gospel. Because the power doesn't reside in how persuasive we are or how eloquent we are. But the power and wisdom resides in God and what he has done And he uses the foolish means and the mediums and the messengers of this world to bring about eternal life. This is evangelism. It's it's an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. Bruised and soiled feet carrying this precious and eternal news of salvation. But God And his wisdom has chosen this method. May we be faithful to this cause. Would you join me in prayer at this time?